Hey, coaches, uh, it's with a heavy heart that, that we say that uh, earlier this morning we found out about uh, the passing of Alan Trimble, who was uh, here in Oklahoma, a, a high school football coaching legend, uh, not just as a coach, but as a person, as a man, as a man of faith, as a husband, as a father. Um, uh, you've probably heard us talk about him a lot. Uh, I personally didn't uh, ever really get to know him, but uh, one of Coach Walls' mentors, one of Coach David Alexander's, um, Jay Wilkinson, everybody around Oklahoma just about has been and somehow shaped by uh, Coach Tremble, either as a, a player or uh, as fellow coaches or they coached under him or um, I've seen referee stories about how great he was and, and then obviously all around his family uh, that, that he has done so much for as well. So uh, we'd like to just say our condolences are with the Trembles. Uh, if you guys want to help or, or help donate, uh, he passed uh, due to ALS, uh, and he has uh, the Trimble Strong Foundation, which is at tremblestrong.org. If you guys would like to donate or see what they're doing there or look at the ministries that they have or the events um, or even get some merchandise uh, for the Trimble Strong um, organization, you guys again can go to tremblestrong.com, uh, and our thoughts and prayers are with Coach Tremble and and with his family and the whole Jinx community uh, today, as as well as uh, this week. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Team Builder. Team Builder is again offering coaches a free in-season football strength program. As you may recall, the New England Patriots squat up to ninety percent of their one rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning philosophy and your playoff philosophy is just to maintain, then you're doing it wrong. You can get the program once you start a 14-day free trial with Team Builder, which is Team B-U-I-L-D-R. Just reach out and tell them that you heard it from me, Rowdy, and the RTP podcast. Or use the code RTP when you sign up for your free trial at TeamBuilder.com, which is Team B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up, as you guys know, with their product, uh, and it's been a game changer for us all season. We uh, love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, uh, inside zone, power, obviously, uh, counter, and, and pin and pull, and even some outside zone uh, more this year. So uh, we can save time, be more productive, have a little bit of time with our family during the season. Just Play has a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120. That is $60 off the normal list price. This offer has been extended uh, and it won't last much longer. Get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with John Claiborne. Coach Claiborne is the co-creator of 8-Man Academy website and podcast. Listen as we talk with Coach Claiborne about his family ties with 8-Man football, his high school football coaching career, and his passion for 8-Man football that caused him to create 8-Man Academy website and podcast as a resource for 8-Man football coaches across the country. You can follow Coach Claiborne on Twitter at 8-Man Academy. Hope you guys enjoy.
Coach, uh, Coach Claiborne came uh, by Broken Arrow, Coach Walls. Uh, he's, he's starting uh, his own podcast and website uh, for eight-man football. So that's kind of how we got connected. He, he, sold, um, he sold Huddle, or you sold Huddle, correct, Coach? Or, yeah, I worked uh, for Huddle. Worked for Huddle. And then before that, um, Wilt, when Coach Wilt came in that day, I think he said that he worked with you or someone in your family. I can't remember what he said, but but you had some kind of a um, contact with Wilkinson yeah, as well, course. didn't you? Yeah. Coach Jay and I, uh, we were both still in college at Northwestern Oklahoma State, and uh, he had used the position but hadn't graduated yet, and I was a sophomore, and my dad was a head coach at a little school next door to – to Alpha, and so we just drove over to practice every day, and we're volunteer coaches at like you know 21 and 20 years old. But we did, yeah. Jay and I drove to work together, carpooled every day for a season, and you know it's funny when you're 20 years old and you got a whistle in your mouth. You think, man, you're on top of the world, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. No, but uh, we thought we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, let's go ahead and continue then through your, your football journey. That's how we always started off anyways, and so uh, that's kind of a, a good way to segment into it, I guess. So uh, if you want to kind of just give us uh, from that point on kind of your football journey, I know, like you said, it's kind of been um, all over the place a little bit, which is really, really interesting. And and uh, like I've already said, we kind of met and, and talked about some eight-man ball as far as setting up maybe a website and a podcast, you guys. And so kind of give us your, your football journey and uh, past hanging out with Jay on the way to football practices and, and kind of what happened next and then up to what you're doing now. Well, I'll back up a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I guess we mentioned it, but my dad was a career uh, high school football coach in Oklahoma. He coached, I think, like 37 years. So, you know, I grew up not knowing any better. I started going to practice when I was probably three or four years old. And I put in a million miles on a bus and I was a water boy and, you know, a ball boy and just kind of moved up until I became a player. And uh, it's just, we've got an uncle that's a coach and my brother has coached a little bit. So it's kind of a family business. And then, yeah, when I got uh, out of college, started working as an assistant and that's where I spent some time with coach Wilkinson and got to know him and uh, moved on. But by now I've already coached 21 seasons. I've been a head coach for 11 years of those 21. Uh, done a little bit of everything. I was a defense coordinator in Enid, Oklahoma for four years, and they're 6A, and uh, we had some good years there, had some playoff teams, and sent several kids to the college ranks. Uh, I've also been in Class C, so I like to say that's the smallest classification in Oklahoma. They play eight-man. I like to say I've been on top and been on bottom, and I don't know which one's which. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I've had some pretty good nights in Class C and some pretty bad nights in 6A and vice versa. So, you know, being big or being small really doesn't affect Friday night. Uh, everybody you know, on Friday night likes to hook up and get after it. And Small towns are fun, too, because the whole town comes out. You know, they shut down Main Street and pack the house and get rowdy. It, 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 I've had good environments in both and had a lot of fun. And just have the opportunity to be blessed and be around so many good coaches and, and players and create relationships uh you know i'm old enough now my my former players you know they're getting married they're having kids they call me tell me things and we stay involved stay connected and it's just been a neat journey couldn't have mapped it if i tried you know but uh this is where i am today coach what are some of the biggest differences you know obviously between the the 11 man game and then the eight man game and and 
the the smaller teams or whatever has a place in my heart. My dad was a nine man coach in South Dakota for a long time and won a state title. So I'd always kind of pick his brain and ask him some of the things. But you know what what makes eight man football a little bit different and, and unique and and also fun at the same time. Yeah, so it, it's fun because it allows schools that maybe couldn't field a program to stay active and still have that ritual of Friday night. Uh, X and O wise, you know, in the 80s, we all probably looked the same and uh, nobody was running all these wide open formations, but uh, just just take your tackles out. You know, if you're an 11 man offense, take out your two tackles mm-hmm. and then you take out one of the guys from the backfield. So let's just say we were an I formation, we'd be double tight, and then we have guards, and then we have a center. And then quarterback under center, fullback, tailback. When you start spreading out, it looks a little more, you know, different than that. But guys that have only seen 11, man, that's probably the best way to explain it. Just take your tackles offensively off the field and then take out one more of the, the running backs. Uh, the field is different, too. And, and this differs by state. I think we're in the 30s now of states that play eight-man football. But the field is only 40 yards wide uh, just because it's easier to turn the corner. And that really helps. <laughs> make the the hashes and the, and the field and the boundary situations even out a little bit. But the the states do differ on length. Uh, in Kansas, they play on an 80-yard long field, where most of us in Oklahoma play on a 100. Uh, I'm not sure the reasoning on that, but the guys that play on a 100, we're up to about 80 schools in Oklahoma that play eight-man football. And I would say, man, shoot, probably – 60 to 70 at one time played 11 man so there was no use you know shortening the field well with the with the field being skinnier is that something they just kind of mark off on on a regular field or um it's just kind of the way they've built their field i guess you just wouldn't have to paint the sidelines so wide yeah so guys that have converted from 11 man to eight man they're on their same facility but when you paint it it's just 40 yards wide and it's not divided in thirds like 11 man. So from the boundary to the hash is 15 yards. It's only 10 yards between the hashes and then 15 on the other side. So tight hashes, almost like uh, more like college or pro than, you know, an 11 man high school. Yeah, coach, you know, going from, like you said, you were at the biggest division uh, that there was in Oklahoma going to uh, eight man football is, is a, um, I'm sure a, a huge change. And, uh, Enid at, at times had some very, very good years. And so um, a, a big, huge switch. Uh, but I think probably maybe at some of those smaller schools, you get, uh, although Oklahoma's going to have pretty good um, community support regardless, uh, my dad's a 3A school, uh, coach at a 3A school, and it seems like some of those smaller schools get just so much better community support, maybe a little bit more red tape. Not than all the 6As, obviously. Um, there's some six days with great, unbelievable community support, but um, it, it kind of a little bit different with that small town feel probably. Yeah, and that, you know, can be eight-man or 11-man, but I think somewhere in there is the, the line, about 3A, 4A, where there's just one school in town, K through 12, and everybody is red and white or orange and black, you know, Tigers, Bears, whatever, and everybody's – they're just one team to follow, but even – like, I've been to some crazy pep assemblies at a Class A high school, but it's because the elementary is in the gym, and those little kids are screaming their head off. You know, you just don't get that in 6A. Uh, yeah. Those guys are at elementaries and Enid, and they don't get to be a part to participate that. And that's what's cool. And, Coach, you mentioned growing up, both you guys being at small schools with your dad, uh, the program 
it just it, there's so much of a grassroots movement because you've got second grade guys out there wearing a jersey that you know is number 44 or number five or whoever they're emulating on that high school team and they go out on the playground and represent those guys or pretend that they're one of those high school you know heroes of theirs and and so there just seems to be that deeper connection throughout the community with the youth for sure but but uh the adults as well you know uh if you've ever been in one small town that had a state championship or a successful team, those guys are kind of always around, you know, the 85 team or the 96 team or whatever. And everybody knows who they are and they kind of lean on the younger guys and say, well, this is how we did it. And this is what it takes to do that. You know, are you guys doing that? And they kind of keep you in check. And I don't know that you necessarily get that in a bigger town. Uh, I would assume, I would assume coach, even like in, in, in six, a, when you go to the West side of the, of the state, you're going to have to go, um, travel at least two, two and a half hours is, is travel. I would assume it's even more spread out with, with eight man football, uh, is, are the away games you guys are going to, are those uh, a pretty big commute? And then also, uh, with Kansas being a little bit, are you guys still able to sometimes, uh, play some Kansas teams? Well, it, it depends on where you're at, but yeah, Colorado plays eight man, New Mexico plays eight man, and Arkansas just started last year, played their first year of eight man. So everybody that we touch but Texas plays eight man, and and we do have state, or I'm sorry, we do have schools that will cross that boundary and play in a non-district situation. Um, you know, our geography at Eno was a little unique because we're one of the well, we're probably about the only six A school truly in Northwest Oklahoma. Yeah, you and, guys, are, uh, you well, guys were out there, that's for sure. And when I was out there, it was before the split in the division, so we were still at 32 teams. And, and we played in a Tulsa district. We played Owasso and the Union district. And uh, so every away game was Tulsa, you know. And so it was about a two-hour drive was probably about our closest game. And, but I think that's unique in 6A because the Tulsa Metro, Oklahoma City Metro guys, they, they don't do that as much. But now with the divisions and you guys go to Norman and Westmore and some of those places, that's probably opened up and made your geography a little bit worse. But yeah, to your point of the eight man game, we're probably the best we've ever been in geography because we're up to about 80 schools. That's two divisions. That's class B and class C. So uh, our district and then having two divisions, we can cross over and play a non-district like a class C versus a class B that, you know, might just be 20 miles down the road. So there are some long road trips. But the eight-man geography is probably the best it's ever been as far as density because we have so many schools now. Coach, I imagine, you know, wanting to, to start a, a podcast and, and some things about, you know, eight-man football, I, I would guess that, that one of the topics you guys probably talk a lot about, you know, being in a smaller school is having, you know, multiple sport athletes. You know, these schools have, you know, a bunch of different sports and they got to try to field these teams. And obviously you're going to have a, a handful of athletes. And if you want to be super competitive, you got to find ways to, to get those to get those guys out. You know, is, is that kind of one of the things you, you talk a lot about on there, you know, being able to kind of balance their seasons and the games and all the things that they're doing in addition to maybe having and finding some unique ways to have to kind of condition and train those guys to also make them, you know, uh, strong enough to handle some of those, those routines and rigors. Because a lot of the bigger schools now don't have that problem. Yeah, you don't have many guys that uh, specialize, you know. Uh, some of our training actually might be rest. <laughs> You've got a kid that is the stud on the football team, the basketball team, the baseball team, and then you get back in the summer and they're playing AAU basketball and we're trying to squeeze in a passing league somewhere. And uh, 
the, the top elite athletes in the small schools play everything. And it, and it might be whatever, wrestling or, or track. But, uh, yeah, we find that, uh, you know, in, in the new dead period in Oklahoma, there's probably a lot of people on both sides of that issue. But I think it really helps the small school athlete because <laughs> the coaches have to leave them alone for 10 days. There's no fight over, am I going to basketball or am I going to baseball? Because they have to balance their schedules with the kids. And most districts I've been in and schools I've worked at, you know, we're working way ahead in February, March with all three head coaches trying to figure out how to not get on top of each other throughout the summer. And and the good ones figured out. And, and, you know, we come up with a weight room program and a conditioning program that you know, it may not be as necessarily sport specific, but just helps kids for all sports. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that would have to be uh, a huge a, a deal of importance. Cause like you said, not even are they not only are they playing every sport, they're also probably playing uh, both ways uh, in football. So they're getting uh, two two players worth of of reps in, and and um, you know, uh, I didn't even think about that, but. Sometimes the best thing you can do for those kids is let them rest, let some of that get underneath them, and and uh, let make them be as fresh as possible when it is time uh, to go play. Yeah, uh, three times as a coach, I've been fortunate enough to be the state finals in 15 weeks, 16 weeks with scrimmages. Uh, man, that's a long season, no matter who you are. And then, like you said, you've got guys that are going both ways, and then your tailback's your best athlete, and. Well, of course, he's a punter, too, and he's returning yeah. kicks. And you can't really afford to dig him up the field if you want to win, but you just have to find, you know, a series here and there or a special team unit. We're just going to live without him. And otherwise, they just can't make it, you know. And, and we don't want to wear them down so much that we expose them maybe to a higher level of, uh, you know, a possibility of an injury. Or I've always been a track coach, too, and I think, you know, there's some – some fine lines in there between training and overtraining and and you got to watch that in football with these guys so that uh you know they can be peak performers on Friday but also over the duration of you know three or four months of football coach you know I I hear maybe it's not at every school but I know that it's a lot of the uh even 5A schools all the way down to I'm sure uh, eight-man footballs uh, football uh you know guys are there's going to be certain kids that are going to do really well. And then uh, at 10th grade think that for whatever reason uh, to get a scholarship, they got to go play at a bigger school and their parents move out and they transfer. And now you've lost a really big, uh, a big player, big key to your, to your, to your football team. Uh, is that something that, that, uh, you know, that is kind of in the back of the, uh, of your mind as you're, as you're coaching, uh, you know, almost not, not act, you know, not, I don't want to say recruiting because it sounds bad, but, actively recruiting and and keeping your own players at your own uh at your own field and 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 showing them that you guys uh that they can do they can go anywhere they want uh, by with playing for you guys yeah at the next level because yeah. uh you know if you've got a 25-man roster that's usually nine through 12 and so if you got uh, you know a once every 10-year type player he's gonna play when he's a freshman and so I don't think it happens a lot between coaches. I don't think 11-man coaches are recruiting players, but a kid has started for two years an eight-man and is just dominant. You know, I, the kids think, the parents think, you know, what if, right? Or or now we're thinking, yeah, we do want to play college football. Do we get more exposure at a bigger school? I think some of that is true. I, I think they do get more exposure because 
you know, my first game to coach at Enid, we played at Sand Springs, and there were like four Division One coaches there in the end zone. We were warming up. I've never seen that at an eight-man game. But uh, so even if you're playing the guys that are scouting, even when you're at Union or Broken Arrow, the guys are in the bleachers. So if you have a good game, they're going to see you, right? So I, I think that's a possibility. I don't want to say it's a myth, but I'll also say, man, there's a lot of good players in eight-man that are going to have successful college careers. Uh, there's been a lot of Division One football players from Oklahoma specifically uh, come out of the eight-man ranks. And we were counting this up, doing a little history research for our website, and we came up with about six guys that have played in the NFL that played Oklahoma eight-man ball. So if you're good, you're good. If you're six five, you're six five. Uh, people are going to find you, you know. And, and I, I think as a head coach in an eight-man school, I'm not right now currently, but I have been for 11 years. and I just tell parents that are thinking along those tracks that they have so much more to get exposure now than ever before with Huddle, with their social media. Uh, they can make highlights and put them out to anybody, but, you know, go to camp, go be seen. Uh, they might not come out to us in the sticks, but there's no reason you can't go three or four camps a year. I'll give you one example. There's a kid named Brady Bond that uh, played at Garber High School, a little place in east of Enid, Oklahoma. and Brady started four years in the offensive line at Oklahoma State and then was uh, signed by the Ravens and stuck around with the Ravens for a couple of years. But he was a big old kid. You know, he's six, 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 seven. I don't know. He's huge and, and learned how to pass that and use those long arms and played offensive tackle and made some money doing it. But I think he got uh, the recognition he was looking for or the awareness of exposure because he just showed up one day in Stillwater and started winning some one-on-ones and people were like, well, who's this guy? You know, they've got their uh, recruits in or, or, you know, prospects they're thinking about. And all of a sudden this kid's starting to beat up on them a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to get recognized. So I tell kids that I tell parents that if you're good, you can help the process by throwing some exposure out there. But um, if you're really good, you know, at some level, people are going to find you. Division one, maybe or maybe not. But, you know, I've had, and you have too, both you guys have coached guys who had great careers in AIA, Division three, Division two. You know, we all have different uh, given abilities, but there's nothing wrong with playing at those levels either. That's, that's always what I've said uh, as well, Coach. I think uh, if you're good enough, uh, especially now, you know, if it's 25 years ago and you've got to, count on maybe your coach or somebody, you know, probably your coach, get a count on your coach to get a, um, a VHS and send it out to um, a bunch of coaches and you're at a small school and, and you better hope that he does and he sends it to the right guys and they like it. Uh, but now with Huddle and, and with the ability to get in front of so many coaches, uh, it, it's the best time ever to, if you're at a smaller school or even at, at a broken arrow at a place like that. You know, we, we run into the same problem. Kids are – wanting exposure and, and all this. And, and man, I just tell them, hey, if, if you're good enough, these, these college coaches are going to see this. It's, it's readily available. And, and like you said, maybe you do have a leg up if you're at a 6A school because you're playing other 6A schools, it's getting a little more exposure. But if you're good enough, you're good enough. And um, a college coach is going to see that and want to keep their job and, and they're going to get a hold of you. No doubt. And so, uh, right, that's, if every Division One school has 11 coaches out scouring the country, and that's their job to go recruit and find guys, start doing that math. That's a lot of coaches out, you know, looking around for, for
for players and athletes, and they'll run across you. And now, again, you know, because of social media, because of huddle, that stuff, they probably get stuff in their inbox they don't even look at anymore. So <laughs> they're getting overwhelmed with them. It's almost the opposite now. Yeah, and I, think, I like what you said about the camps. I mean, the if you're you're at a smaller school and all of a sudden you go you go to a camp, you know, generally now every camp that's that's been designed, if it's you know whatever they call it, elite or mega camp or whatever, there's there's going to be 60 schools at a lot of these camps. I mean, at every level, because you know the the big D1 schools are like, hey man, we're going to have 500 kids here. You know, some of these smaller schools, they got no problem having these coaches come in and be able to work the camp and evaluate kids. And then if if you're from a small school, you're gonna you're gonna get put up against elite competition there. And if you're beating guys that they've already offered, guess what? You're gonna be the next guy that that gets offered, especially if you hit all those measurables. So I mean, you said it, man. There's a bunch of, of great football players. I remember coaching against uh, I think it was a uh, Ronald Lewis when he was at at Oklahoma. I think he was an eight nine guy from Dewar, and he was a stud, man. So it, it doesn't matter where you come from if you if you're a good athlete and you can prove it, and, and one or two guys like you, that's all it takes. That's a great point. Ronnell went and played for the Lions for several years and had a good career at defensive end. But I'll tell you what's a, a, a funny story about Ronnell. We had to go against him in team camp, and he played running back in high school. Talk about unfair. The guy never went to the ground for like three days because you're not wearing <laughs> pants. You can't ground. You can't back low. I mean, you know, we've got little DBs and linebackers just bouncing off of him like he's Superman, and he was at that level. So, uh Team camp was a huge advantage or disadvantage, whichever side you're on of Ron L. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, Coach, you kind of talked to me a little bit um, a few weeks ago, but um, what are, you know, some of the reasons that you wanted to start uh, an eight-man website, an eight-man podcast, uh, all, all the different avenues? Uh, I'm not sure all the avenues you're going to go down, but uh, you've talked, you know, about the opportunity to go down a bunch of different avenues with it. What was – uh, the thought behind that driving force behind uh, wanting to get into that. Yeah, and, you know, um, actually next year I'm going to be coaching 11 men again, so I've kind of went back and forth about twice in my coaching career, but and my dad did too. But uh, just I still have tons of friends that are coaching 8 men, and uh, there really isn't a lot out there for them. Every website, every blog, every, you know, you go to a glazier and maybe sometimes there's one speaker over three days that's talking 8 men. Those guys just don't have a lot of external resources. And so we thought, well, why don't we do it, you know? And uh, we've got three eight-man coaches in our family and a lot of close friends. And, I, you know, it's not going to be John being the the, uh, the wizard that knows everything about eight-man. Hopefully I get a lot of guys like you do and just get, you know, tons of guys that want to donate their time and uh, turn them loose on the chalkboard or uh, let them talk about whatever they want to talk about. And, you know, we'll just be a home four eight-man coaches to have a, a central place and now again like you guys uh, run the power is such an awesome source and resource because I've listened to several of your podcasts you've got guys from coast to coast on here you've got listeners and subscribers all over the place you can't you know we thought about having a coaches clinic like an annual coaches clinic and I used to do that we had uh we called it the eight ball coaches clinic we ran it for five years about 10 years ago and and we got some guys from Nebraska and, and Iowa and uh, Oklahoma and Kansas, obviously, but still we weren't reaching enough numbers, but the technology and the infrastructure wasn't there yet to do what we're doing now. So, you know, we want it to be a national thing because we're pushing 40 states. I mean, we're in the high thirties of, of states that play in football. And if you Google it right now, you just, there, there aren't a lot of resources out there for those guys. And we want to be able to provide that service and 
and just help the game grow. And both you guys understand it coming from a small school background. Those guys are always strapped in so many ways. I mean, I can take you through dozens of schools that have two football coaches, right? So, I mean, they, they mow the field, they drive the bus, they paint the field, they clean the bathroom. So, uh, they wish they had a 10 man staff, but they just don't. And it's not going to happen. So, you know, if we can help them save some time and some money by uh, finding what they need in one place, we hope that's the case. Yeah, I remember, I mean, having, having to coach it a few times and then having some coaches, you know, ask you some questions about things. It, it was difficult, like in the run game. I mean, you, you can't run the, the traditional power O, you know, very often. You know, you, got, you, might, you might be able to do it, but you load it all up, and now you're losing, you know, receivers and things like that. So the defensive looks are different. So, and, and honestly, you know, when you're an 11-man coach, you're not thinking much about it. So I remember just kind of going back and asking my dad, and my dad's just like, hey, man, we'd, we'd have like, you know, two or three formations and I'd just come up with a series. So they'd run like, you know, six, six, eight plays, whatever it might be. We'd just get really good at those. And generally, if, hey, if we had one guy who was a great athlete, we're going to get in the ball three or four different ways and let him just go make magic happen. But I, like I said, I, I, I agree with you on the whole resources part is that I, I didn't know where to go with it either. And I, and I felt kind of bad for some of those guys. So I think it's an awesome void that you guys can fill. And like you said, there's so many programs out there that need that and not to mention then the kid need that coaching and, and want to have that same experience. Let's give them the best experience possible. Yeah. You had a lot of good points there, coach. I think one thing that I've noticed that's different between small school and big school players is uh, the technique. You know, if you've got one coach or two coaches, there's not a lot of individual work going on with those guys. It's more team and group oriented. So footwork, where to hand, hand placement, eyes and some of that stuff gets, it's overlooked. So if we can bring some of that stuff to those guys and help them make their kids better, that's the ultimate goal, right? So, but uh, yeah, you're right about, about the formation. So if you're in double tight, I was going to say this earlier, offenses and 11 man and eight man might be the closest they've ever been. Because if you guys are like in 10 personnel or something, that's an eight man offense. You know, you got one running back and tackle a tackle and you're seeing a four, two or a three, two or a three, three. And that's what we see. Mm -hmm. But, uh, that's the end of our, that's the extent of our, our guys. <laughs> so we don't have to have some the numbers that we can flip the ball to, but, uh, so that inside run stuff looks the same. And, you know, eight man guys, they're just like 11 man guys. They see something on TV and think, well, we could do that. Um, I know we're talking gap scheme and power here, but, yeah, uh, 10 years ago, a lot of guys started adapting to the zone game, and you see inside zone, outside zone, and play action off of it, just like you would on Saturday and Sunday. But, yeah, really, I'm telling you, the best play in eight-man football that the better teams run and still have stuck with, it's power O. So, you know, we get in double tight, and we uh, and we block down, and we kick out, baby, and we pull that backside guard and swab him up in there, and it's to the house. So, it's still the best play in football. And I'm not making this up. I mean, a lot of guys call it the squad. You know, some somebody called that a long time ago and talked about that guard clean everything out. But uh, a lot of good programs run the swab. And so where they've got more creative is in their formations and motions to dress it up a little bit. But it, it's still blocked down, kick out because you have great angles. And my dad was an offensive line coach forever. And he's a, you know, I grew up in an offense playing quarterback, and it was so boring. Yeah, reverse out, handoff. Uh, we ran track, and we ran uh, power, and we ran ISO, but we called it lead, you know, but uh, back then. But uh, we run play action. They'd be wide open. I, 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 
not me necessarily, but some of my dad's quarterback, you know, might it be four out of six for the night with 84 yards and two touchdowns, and you're just begging him to throw it more. And we don't need to because that's why it's so open, you know. <laughs> so the boot or the waggle or whatever is just, you know, you can't miss it. It's like if you miss this one, you're the worst quarterback ever because <laughs> you're just throwing in the ocean. <laughs> Coach, is that an, an eight-man? Is that a uh... – do is there a lot more quarterback run game uh, that you've seen just in general, or um, uh, is that not the case? I would just would think uh, having three less guys, if you could just have a quarterback slash running back be the same guy, now maybe you can um, empty it out a little bit more and and try to uh, get match a little better matchups on the outside and on the inside. Yeah, so eight man has been fluid over the course of time and. In Oklahoma, just to back up a little bit, the the history of eight-man football in Oklahoma really started way out west in the Panhandle, and those schools have been playing since the late 40s, early 50s. So the tradition is deep in eight-man, but my point is they went through all the same phases that 11-man has. Uh, those guys ran the dead sea, and then they ran, you know, there was guys that ran single wing back in the day, and uh, but then the wing team became popular, and they ran their own version of the, all that misdirection, the, the trap, and the the power and the, the waggle. Uh, you can run a version of a buck sweep if you want to. And then moved into the eye and some of the pro look. And then now they're doing what you guys are doing and what they see on TV. Uh, they're in shotgun and running zone read or power read. So I don't know that the quarterback run game is more prevalent in eight man. What I'll say is the good teams, you know, a lot of times the, the most successful teams, that's probably their best athlete because you can create so many more one-on-one matchups. Uh, if you watch an offensive game, if you've never seen eight-man before and you watch an offensive game from that perspective, you would think it, it looks semi-normal. Where eight-man gets crazy on defense. So just imagine taking out one guy at each level. Take out a lineman, take out a linebacker, and take out another safety. If you can find a crease, you're gone. So it's almost harder to play defense. And so now that people are running zone read, option game, um, power read with that new stuff in the shotgun, they're just um, – they're, they're creating some good lanes. And then you still got old school guys. Somebody might be running midline. Somebody might be running veer. But that's still involving the quarterback and getting those matchups. So, yeah, it's pretty common. You see a lot of teams put their best player at quarterback. I don't know if the run game necessarily happens more because it's eight man or because that's where they put their best player. Yeah. I was going to say, I was, I was actually going to bring up power read. I mean, I, I would think at that level, you know, power read would have to be a great play with, you know, pr- probably, you know, not having tremendous speed at all eight positions, any football team you talk about, we're going to say, Hey man, we'd all love to get faster. But you know, when you have athletes spread thin and all of a sudden you're handing it to a guy that can really go and, and it gets out to the edge in a hurry, you know, I'm sure a lot of defenses, especially in the eight-man game, are like, man, you know, we got to protect the edges. Don't let them get around that. Don't let them turn the corner. And all of a sudden now, if you got a another athlete, a QB, and, and they start to, to really run out there, take themselves out of the play, they can really gash them a few times up in that A-gap. Yeah. So let's think about this. If I gave you a 3-2 front, if you were looking at Oki, but you didn't have either overhang exactly. and one less safety or one high safety, would you love to play against that all night? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, let's hook that five technique and get out there. You know, if we can reach them. And once we've heard them with that a couple of times, they just start widening out and widening out. And then, boom, you stick the quarterback up in an A gap or B gap or, 
or you give it some kind of counter or trap look. And yeah, it defense is way harder in eight man uh, than the offense is because you, you're forced to give up something. You want to play man or you want to play zone? You want to play, you want to defend the inside or defend the outside? You're just missing those three other guys makes so much difference on defense. Coach, I, I'm not sure if you, you know, but it sounds like you've researched, uh, you know, going all the way back to the 40s, 50s, why did they start with eight-man? Uh, why, why is it eight-man football? Is that, is that just uh, an Oklahoma thing and, and close around here? I mean, is there a, a seven-man? Did it ever try, you know, nine, ten-man? Or was there any reasoning behind uh, the number eight? The eight? So I'll give you a little history there because I've researched it. And because it happened as, as recent as the 50s, there are still a few people alive that were a part of that. but. Uh, I believe the man that started six-man football is from Nebraska, and now that's that's very prevalent in Texas. Texas plays eleven and six, mm-hmm. uh, but the eight-man in Oklahoma happened because the Panhandle schools they were also playing six-man, and uh, kind of the godfather of eight-man football in Oklahoma is Coach Robert Kramer. Won almost three hundred games in his career, four state championships, four state runner-up. Coached like forty years. At Balco, Oklahoma, B-A-L-K-O, way out in the middle of nowhere, but had stud athletes. Actually had a, a Division One player and a guy that played for the Seahawks, if you can believe that. But uh, Coach Kramer was out there in the early in his career. Well, I'll give you one more story about Coach Kramer. This just tells you how he's woven into our fabric and the godfather. He played for Bear Bryant at Texas A&M. So, I mean, this guy is just awesome, a wealth of football. But Jeez. Uh, Coach – Kramer told me some stories after he'd retired and I uh, just got to visit with him a few times in my life and they were playing six man when he was coaching in the panhandle and that allowed them to play Texas schools and then some Kansas schools were playing six man but Kansas schools were ahead of the game in that sense that they were already there's some Kansas schools playing eight man and uh he just said there was no room on the field for a big kid in six man you know it's basically basketball and grass so if you had a kid that's 200, 220 pounds, he can't run. He can't help you, you know. Uh, where do you put the fat kid in basketball, right? So, but he had an 11-man background. He had never seen six-man or eight-man until he started coaching it because he just graduated college and won a job, and that's where he wound up. But he's a Texas Panhandle kid. He was originally from a, a, a town in the Texas Panhandle. But uh, he said, we just had that. We had boys in our school that needed to be playing football but couldn't really get on the field. and. So he started liking the eight-man brand better and the the consensus among the Oklahoma Panhandle coaches, and there might have been 10 or 12 of them at that time, schools playing eight-man. I'm sorry, schools playing six-man just said, we're going to make the switch because it, it's more like normal football. A few more rule changes, but you can get into more uh, traditional formations and fronts and defenses. And we can put the big kid out there, and, and he can be a nose guard, defensive tackle, interior lineman. So. It was really a group of coaches in the 50s in the Oklahoma panel that just said, we can help more kids if, if we'll switch. And uh, on the Texas side of it a little bit, he told me this too, that at one time there were, Texas was playing 6, 8, and 11. And uh, what is it, the UIL, I think, their version of OSSA, they just said, we're not doing this anymore. We're just going to play two brands of football. You guys figure it out. And so it went to a vote. And uh, – I think the six-man won by about 20 votes. So that's when they selected to stop playing eight-man and just move strictly to six. So now we can't play each other in non-district. But that's kind of the history that I've been told by some of the older guys. 
of the Oklahoma eight-man history. We all know that's because Oklahoma's better than Texas. They're always bigger than Texas, so that's why they were scared to come play as coach. (laughs) I'm going to take 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 a a lot of crap for that one. (laughs) Just a joke, all my (laughs) Texas guys. (laughs) Yeah, but nobody in Texas is going to listen to an eight-man podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But – that's it sounds awesome so so what are what are teams uh you know obviously it's by um you're putting these classifications by how many kids are in your school um but i've got to think there's there's some eight-man schools some b or c you know schools that are in b or c but still have a pretty high turnout for uh their football team is that something where doesn't matter if you're in b and b or c you're playing eight man um is that something they can jump up to an 11-man schedule if they feel like they have enough kids on their team at, at that time and they want to get kids, you know, more playing time? Or how does that work? Is it just like being, you know, your your B yeah. or C, your eight-man? So the way it works in Oklahoma is there's 80 slots available for eight-man football. And the smallest 80 schools that petition to play eight-man are taken in. So if 82 schools want to play eight-man, the biggest two have to stay in 11-man. But Technically, the way the bylaws read, they're all Class A schools. Everybody's an 11-man school until they declare to be an 8-man school and petition to play 8-man. And you have to redo that every two years, just like you do when you do your redistrict. We redistrict on the same cycle and that, that everybody else does, every other class. So, uh, But sometimes, not all, there won't be uh, 80 teams that want to do it. So, you know, we might have a year of like 76 or whatever. Um, and neither no matter your size if you got 50 kids in high school and you want to play 11 man you're allowed to play 11 man there are class a schools who are smaller than class b schools but for tradition purposes or maybe geography because they like their geography better and those old rivals and some of those things a lot of different reasons but yeah there actually are uh class a schools that are small to play a man but select to stay in 11 and then vice versa so that opens up slots for some bigger schools to become class B schools. Coach, are there any private schools that are playing eight-man football? Yeah. Uh, in fact, both years uh, – not both years. Both classes this year, the runner-up was a private school. So, in Class C at Southwest Covenant, they're in Yukon. And in Class B, it was Regent Prep. They're there in Tulsa. So, I think that's awesome, too. You get some of these these smaller schools, and, again, it gives, you know, boys another opportunity to be able to go play another sport. And I think you've said it before, you know, uh, given the opportunity for, for bigger kids, you know, another sport for them to do, because a lot of them is like you said, if, if you're a, a bigger athlete, really, really, you know, throwing the shot foot or playing football are kind of your, your two options, unless, you know, maybe you're, you're a pretty skilled hand-eye kid and you can play a little bit of baseball and move a little bit. But I, th- I think you make some, some great points that, I mean, just, just having that program doesn't matter whether it's, you know, private school, public school, but providing that opportunity for, for some of these larger athletes. And obviously on a podcast called Run the Power, man, that's, uh, that, that, that's music to our ears. It all starts with the hogs, right? I mean, if we don't have hogs, we're not moving the football. So, uh, yeah, we're just equally as proud of our offensive linemen as you guys are. We just have a few less of them. But we like to get down and put a hand on the ground and get nasty like everybody else. Coach, so, coach, so go ahead, Walls. I was just say, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, they they followed a lot of the the trends with what's going on lately. So I was like, I was going to ask, and I'm just wondering if there, are there any eight man teams that have kind of run, you know, air raid, or or you know, heavy spread, and we're going to launch it all over the field. Have there been some teams that have been pretty successful doing that as well? I would imagine that there is. 
Sure. Uh, Regent Prep uh, this year, Class B state runner-up. I mean, they've thrown it 40 and 50 times a game sometimes. Uh, so, so that's happening. And I, I wouldn't say they're necessarily air raid like the Mike Leach running the mesh and and some of those schemes, but you know they they have their own formations and and concepts they like. Uh, but yeah, there there are guys that picked up on that 10 or 12 years ago. I think in Oklahoma we were exposed to it when Coach Leach came to Oklahoma, and uh, then being a Texas Tech in the Big 12, everybody kept watching him, and then all those guys branched off, whether it was Baylor or Houston or whoever you watch, and uh, so they started incorporating some of those schemes and plays and, and passing concepts. I mean, you can run smash and eight man. You can run mesh and eight man. It, it's uh, it's a little bit different on the protection. That's if you guys want to talk about pass pro. That's where it gets a little different with your hogs. But <laughs> yes, there are, there are guys that are air raid type teams. I would say can't maybe run all the concepts, but yeah, we see quite a bit of that. Yeah, coach, dive into that a little bit if if you wouldn't mind. What is uh, what does a, a pass protection look like with with less guys I mean I know just kind of the the real basic for 11 man obviously is is having a man and a sort side or a man and a fan side uh so what do you have to do when you only have you know when you got less linemen so when you start in seventh grade you learn the first protect pass protection that probably everybody learned you know we start out with Bob big on big right and uh and then we're probably using a back to check for a blitzer uh then he can release just like he would in in your scheme but uh, guys slide protect. Uh, they've got a left or right call. Let maybe the running back pick up opposite of the call. Uh, pick up that rush end. If, they, if they're sliding left, he's gonna he's gonna work right and pick up the edge guy on the right. Um, you see some guys do some different things. Some guys can protect with three and get away with it, but a lot of guys try to protect with four because you're looking at either a three front or a four front, uh, and it depends if they're a blitzing team. So I mean, we can run the same. I can't say that. We can run similar pass pros that 11-man do because we have max protect situations. And then, you know, if you want to protect your quarterback a little bit, we can either roll him out or, or go uh, play action. Coach, are there are there rules as far as, like, you know, who, who are the eligible receivers? Could I throw a pass to a lineman or throw a pass to my center? Or are there still rules, you know, guys on the end of the line of scrimmage, they're the eligible receivers, and then obviously any guy that's, uh, that's back at least a yard off of the line of scrimmage? have one less guy because we're missing that fourth back but you have to be on the end of line scrimmage or or a back now guys do trick stuff and throw it to their guards or you know work to get it like the tackle eligible type stuff but uh that's a trick play so the eligibility is tight end wide receiver whoever's on the end of line scrimmage or either one of your running backs okay so i like so i could have like unbalanced i could have my center on the end of the line of scrimmage and i could throw him the ball right doesn't matter about his number it happens, and where it happens, that sounds goofy to maybe a non-football guy, but they'll, you'll understand this. It happens like in extra point situations or special team situations. People run the swinging gate, you mm -hmm. know, and they've got the side huddle over on the hash and like a, a deep snapper, a kicker, and a holder, and some guys will break out of that and have some trick plays. So, yeah, you, you've got to cover the center in that situation just like you would an 11-man if guys run the, the swinging gate on extra point. So, but, yeah, the – the scenario you drew up, if he's on the inline scrimmage, even though he's a center, he's eligible for a, to be a receiver. And it doesn't matter his number, right? He could be, he could still be number 51, and I could throw him the ball. Because obviously in high school, I, I couldn't throw it to a guy that doesn't have an eligible number unless it'd be like a backwards lateral. Okay, you stumbled on something there. That is the one difference. I don't know why this is the case. A lot of the eight-man coaches have, would like to probably change this rule. 
<laughs> any player in eight man or any number. That's what I thought. Yes. So, that's what my dad, yeah, my dad. Number 23 and 44. And, and so it, it makes it hard on the referee because you're wondering, well, that guy's wearing number 82 and he cut the ball. Yeah, that's probably okay. But <laughs> yep. it's not because he was covered up. Yeah, that's my, that was what my dad would always say. And he, he had a couple of, of, you know, funky formations like that. And they'd, and they'd throw to the ball, those guys, because like you said, you know, some, some guys wouldn't know the rule or they didn't know he was on the end of the line of scrimmage. And, and you'd be able to, to get some guys, especially like you said, I mean, my, your center might be 185 pounds and he might be able to run pretty well and be a pretty good athlete. So, I mean, there's actually some really cool things you can do, you know, formationally and, and, and really mess with people and force them to communicate. Like, like you said, man, being a defensive coordinator, man, would suck. <laughs> oh, I promise you can see some of the screwiest stuff you've ever seen and you're just pulling your hair out because you got three days to get ready for it. And it's not you that has to get ready for it, right? You have to get your kids ready for it. So, uh, yeah, the number thing is hard. Uh, you talk about private schools. When I was in school, OCS, who's in Edmond, you know, they're like 3A now, but they used to be eight-man. And they had a fire situation on a short field goal. And we went back and watched it on film. They snapped it over the holder's head, kicker, picked it up. And he's just going to, you know, throw it to whoever's open. And they've got five guys standing in the end zone holding their hand up. <laughs> and there's only – or maybe six, maybe they had more than that, but they had about everybody in the back of the end zone with their hand up, and they threw it to one of them. Well, obviously, two of those guys were not eligible because one guy's holding the ball. <laughs> but it happens because uh, our officials go back and forth. You know, they might have an 11-man game this week and an eight-man game next week, and I, I just think by default they're trained that those eligible numbers are eligible receivers. Sometimes that doesn't click. So, so with that, that, that's exactly right. That would be um... – nearly impossible for a ref to I would think to have to go from one to the other and he's got a full-time job like a real job other than being a ref and then he's 11 then he's eight man so with that in mind or do you guys try to give offensive linemen uh skill numbers we don't shy away from it but kids are kids who do they gravitate toward when they're a fourth grader they're watching a skill guy and so mm. they want to be number 14 because that's their favorite quarterback, and then they grow and they're a, a guard in high school, and, and they've been wearing 14 since they were fourth grade, and they want to keep it. So, you know, I think some coaches try to gear or steer their, their alignment into a, a traditional alignment number, but it's not necessary. And uh, there are some guys who uh, probably do it on purpose. The winningest coach in Oklahoma in high school football is a guy named Bruce Hendrickson, and he coached eight man for just – the last two or three years of his career, he coached like 30 years in 11 man. But even in 11 man, uh, he was notorious for all kinds of film trading tricks and all this stuff. Just always <laughs> trying to get a leg. Most there were some seasons where his whole roster would switch their jersey week to week, and one coach <laughs> accused him of doing it at halftime. So you know you're scouting, you're doing a scouting report that you've built all week for these guys and. Hey, number 14 is their best receiver, and their favorite running back is 34, and blah, blah, blah. And then those guys don't even get on the field all night against you because they've switched jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> Not illegal. So, you know, some guys get crafty and do some of that stuff. The old gamesmanship, man. You know I, what? Yeah. You know what and, never made sense to me was uh, when guys like fake that either a guy's playing or isn't playing, um, like, during warm-ups. Because at that point, it right. doesn't matter. 
at that sure. point, at that point, you're going to see who's playing in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like you found out on a Wednesday and you can reformulate a game plan or, or whatever you learn 30 minutes before the game. Uh, all you're doing is just, uh, to me, you're just being weird. I mean, that doesn't make any sense why you do. And then what he's playing in 30 minutes. Well, you weren't going to have a new game plan in 30 minutes. So I never understood uh, why guys did that. I guess uh, maybe they just got bored. I, I, I don't – I've never seen the big um, the benefit from that. It's funny, but you're right. I've seen it both ways. I've seen hurt kids go out there in pads and then street clothes when at kickoff. Or, uh, you know, I've seen a guy out there in crutches and, and, and then he pads up. And you're right. What, I mean, I guess there's a little psychological warfare with, you know, maybe your sophomores because they're all gawking at it. But <laughs> outside of that, you're exactly right on game plan execution. It has no bearing. So it, I like I said, I thought it was hilarious because you know you, you grow up in the eleven man game and in South Dakota you'd be able to watch some of those smaller schools play like in the finals. So you know they they'd have the games on during the day and you'd have quarterbacks wearing like you know sixty six. Your quarterbacks wearing like number seventy nine, so I, I always thought it was crazy that they could have all the numbers, and then the center's wearing like number one, you know. And then uh, yeah. I wanted to like ask Harper, like Harper, if you weren't an offensive lineman, you could pick any number you want. What number would you have worn? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. I always thought ninety nine was cool, and I did get to pick any number I wanted in like a. Uh, um, it was like a high school, like all or like a elementary all star type thing. Uh, I got to pick whatever I wanted, and I was ninety nine. I played center, <laughs> so that's what I would go with. <laughs> and, if, and then one year I was number uh, uh, I can't remember now. I was I was all stats number. Uh, what is it, forty or forty four? That's what I was in baseball because uh, of Mike Allstott. He's forty. Yeah. Uh he had the heart of a hog, but he got to carry the football, right? That's exactly so, right. But I wasn't smart enough to use that in, in football. I, I used it in, ba- in baseball. So uh, I was a little bit messed up as a kid, but I liked my call stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, Coach, kind of rolling up now uh, at, at, at an hour and kind of towards the end of, of the episode. But uh, what I always like to ask guys, and it's really interesting now, I'm sure it's very similar, but maybe a few differences, but – when you're watching uh, another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? They can ask good ones and not so good ones right away. But when I'm watching them on film, you know, are they in sync, whether they're a zone team or a gap team? Or is everybody taking the same size of step? Are they taking at the same time? Are they, you know, step, step, power, hand? Uh, is that second step and those hands punching at the same time? Uh, pad level, right? Um, and Sometimes in small schools, they're better at one than the other. You know, they're not great at pass protection because they're a wing D team. So, but you see guys that are good at both, you know, they're getting trained right and they're being taught something and, and they're getting tons of reps. So I think same thing everybody looks for, you know, balanced step, uh, balanced stance. Uh, you know, do they line up the same way every time? Are there tells? Is it a young guy? Is he is he backing up six inches when he pulls? Can we pick up on that? So you know we look for tells, but just to 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 look for evidence of a good offensive line coach, I think it's the same at any level. I couldn't agree more, coach. And the same thing too. I was always pretty uh, pretty. I admire those offensive line coaches that could take some of those kids that you know were maybe a, a little bit small or maybe you know middle linebacker type, and all of a sudden they could 
they could turn them into just a, a kick butt offensive line, you know, because, you know, they could train them the, the, the correct technique. And not only that, you know, if they were going against somebody that was, that was bigger than them or, or outmatched, they could figure out a blocking scheme to, to kind of hide that guy or make that guy still be successful. To me, that was 100% coaching as well. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm not the offensive line coach right now, but uh, three years ago, we went to the finals at Pond Creek Hunter uh, Class D school. And, and our starting left guard was about 160 pounds, but he was a gnat. He just wouldn't leave people alone, you know. And once he got on you, he stuck on you. And he was smart, had great feet, uh, was willing to bear crawl when necessary or, or use the chop block, not the chop, not, not a high low, but a cut block, you know, to his advantage. And just piss those guys off and keep them off balance. And, uh, you know, we rode him. We didn't run away from him. We ran behind him sometimes. But, again, having those great feet, a lot of pass protection situations in eight-man are one-on-one, and you just couldn't get around him. So, yeah, it happens. And, and like you said, taking the smaller athletes, once the, the athletic guys go to the skill position, sometimes an eight-man, you know, you've got ten kids left. And there's some guys that aren't very athletic in that group, big or small. And uh, coach is going to take them and whip them into shape and teach them how to do something. Well, man, it's been awesome. Like I said, I grew up in the, the small town and watching my dad grow up and, and coaching the, the nine-man ball for me was, was you know, like, like I said, it, it always it gives me a trip down memory lane because those were some of my – I know my dad's favorite times. I'd see all of his, you know, state championship plaques and, and things down there. He'd tell me stories about it all the time. And, and, you know, two or three of the guys that he coached with, you know, end up becoming some of his best friends of all time. So I think, you know, the small town football life and, and having that opportunity for, for young men to be able to do that is, is invaluable. So, you know, I appreciate you for, for kind of keeping that dream alive, you know, and, and everyone that, that's still trying to say that, you know, quote, football's dying. I think they're wrong. You know, we got more colleges playing ball. We got, you know, the, the same number of high schools playing ball. We're, we're continuing to, to make the game better and, and bigger and safer and all those things. I appreciate you for your role in doing that too, Coach. Well, I, you know, that's a huge compliment, and I'm not the only voice of small school football. I just happen to be the, the vessel today. So I really appreciate what you guys do and, and getting the word out to everybody about high school football and that we are in it for the right reasons. No matter what side of school we're at, we're, we're there to help young men become men and uh, develop as football players maybe along the way, but have fun and learn some lessons that they can carry on. Well, Coach, one more time, kind of before you get off, what, what's the website, what's the name of the website, or uh, what you guys are rolling out first and, and when, and where can, can guys find that? Because, like I said, if any, like you've said, many eight-man eight football uh, guys are listening to this. Uh, I'm sure they're looking for more and more resources. So uh, where can they go, come find some of your stuff? Yeah, you bet. We're the eightmanacademy.com, so the number eight, manacademy.com. And- We've got a lot of stuff uh, already in the can that we're going to be able to share, videos, podcasts, uh, some, some stuff that's downloadable and printable, 8manacademy.com. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. 
Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.